Welcome to the TBE Richmond Podcast. I'm Rabbi Michael Knopf. On this feed, you'll hear sermons, teachings, music, conversations with guests, and so much more from us here at Temple Bethel in Richmond, Virginia. Thanks for learning and growing with us. Once again, Shana Tova, Happy New Year to everybody. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's wonderful to uh, be together today, as I was saying yesterday. Uh, despite the uh, change of venue, um, this feels pretty close to normal, which is, uh, which is really lovely. And, uh, and, and I think apropos to the conversation that I was hoping that we would have this morning. So I'm really uh, grateful to uh, welcome three uh, dear friends of mine and of our community. Uh, Rachel Douglas, who is the executive director of the Inner Work Center, uh, where uh, in addition to other things, we have been having our Shabbat services uh, since our sanctuary renovation began. Thank you very much for that. Um, and uh, Jason Camrus, uh, who many of us know, of course, uh, as a member of our congregation and uh, uh, most importantly, as husband to Miwa and father to Ezra and Akiva, but also uh, the uh, superintendent, superintendent of Richmond Public Schools. And uh, Mitchell Reed, uh, who again is uh, most important and best known to us as uh, husband to Sharina Gibson and father to Carter Reed, uh, whose birthday it is today. Happy birthday to Carter, uh, but uh, is a uh, licensed clinical psychologist uh, specializing in uh, childhood uh, psychology. Uh, we're really grateful to have you here too, Mitchell. Uh, thanks for joining us for the conversation. So I titled the conversation that we're having this morning, In the Wilderness, navigating and learning from uncertainty and stability. We've been reflecting on this question, this theme over the course of Rosh Hashanah, what we've been calling the in-betweens, based uh, in no small part on the in-between in which our congregation finds itself of uh, being between the, uh, the beginning of a renovation that marks the closing chapter of a, of a long chapter, a long series of chapters of our congregation's history uh, in uh, our sacred space at Grove Avenue as we knew it, uh, and what will ultimately be the next chapter of our congregation's history uh, once that renovation is completed, and we being in a temporary space for the High Holy Days and uh, and, and, uh, throughout uh, the time that the sanctuary is under renovation, feels like we're kind of in an in-between, and how do we navigate that? What what is that? Uh, what is that like? But it strikes me that, in many ways, um, our country, our world, are in various states of in between uh, at the moment. Uh, periods of uh, instability, uncertainty, um, upheaval, even, uh, and uh, and many of us in our lives uh, are are uh, no doubt uh, going through uh, uh, periods or periods uh, like like that between the pandemic and. And really, just the way life works, um, we're kind of in a series of in-betweens. And there's a moment in the Torah reading this morning, which uh, uh, was Genesis chapter 22, the, commonly known as the, the story of the binding of Isaac, where uh, Isaac is, uh, Abraham is commanded to take his son Isaac to uh, Mount Moriah to offer him, uh, presumably as a sacrifice. Um, and they uh, travel along with some of their attendants uh, into the wilderness. Uh, and it's a three-day journey to Mount Moriah. And as they're journeying, Isaac turns to his father and asks, 
we have the wood for the sacrifice. We have the fire for the sacrifice. We have the knife for the sacrifice. Where is the lamb for the sacrifice? Or where's the ram for the sacrifice? And never mind Abraham's answer, which is somewhat cryptic. He says that God will see to the ram for the offering, my son. Uh, it strikes me that Isaac's question there is uh, maybe the place to start. Um, the questions that we ask about navigating moments of uncertainty, of doubt, of, of anxiety, of instability. Um, Isaac wonders, okay, what's going to happen next? I see some of the uh, puzzle pieces, but I don't yet know how it's going to fit together. What's going to happen next? So I, I'm wondering, maybe we can start with you, Rachel. Um, how uh, times of transition, uh, moments of in-between uh, show up for you in feel free in, in your life if you want to share or in your work. Um, uh, how did those manifest in, in your context? Yeah, this is great. So um, I'll start with just sort of high level and then I'll dig down to your question um, because I feel like what I want to share first is this idea of um, the process of inner work, um, which is uh, a, a path to the not knowing, which is what you're describing. Yeah. Um, so inner work is that deep introspection that gives you clarity about what matters most to you in your life, uh, which is actually going to be different for you or you or you or anybody else, right? It's very, uh, it's very personal. Um, it's often it's very solitary work, but I would say it cannot be done alone. So everyone in this congregation knows what I mean when I say that. Um, so I think uh, when you do that deep introspection and you know what is most important to you, what does a meaningful life experience look like for you, then you're able to sit in that space of not knowing, in that space of uncertainty that you're describing, right? It's very uncomfortable to be in that space, right? And we're all in that space in, you know, like you were saying, Rabbi, in some form of our life, right. like whether it's the big things or the little things, we know that change is constant. There's always a not knowing. So the work I think is in staying in that space as long as possible. We don't like to be uncomfortable. We don't like to not know. And I, I don't say that as a judgment. I think that's just our humanity. Um, the work where I think the transformation comes is staying with that not knowing for long enough for your own wisdom to arise. Um, and when you're able to access that wisdom, I think that's where courage comes from. Uh, that's that's so that there's so much wisdom in that. I mean, we we tend to kind of you know steer away from the discomfort, we steer away from the pain. Uh, but there, but there's uh, that in, discomfort can be generative if we allow it to be. It reminds me, uh, and I know that you're uh, no stranger to yoga yourself, but this is like sort of yoga, I guess. Uh, the um, the like fitness celebrity Jillian Michaels. I once did a yoga video uh, that, uh, that that she was leading. And she kept on saying, get comfortable with being uncomfortable, which is, I think, what you're saying. Yes. We don't like to be in that space. So it takes practice. So you practice for the moments that you don't even know are coming. We don't know what change is going to happen next. So I think what she was calling on is um, practice now while things are okay, while you're in this you know, 60 minute yoga class, you know, like that's when you practice. And then when the things come, 
and we don't know what they're going to be, you're ready because you've practiced, you have that deep well um, of calm that you can access. Yeah. Love that. Uh, Jason, what about, what about you? Where do you see this uh, come up in your work or in your life? Well, nothing has changed at all in public school over no, the last yeah. three years, so we're good. Smooth sailing. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, I, I was thinking Thanks about- Thanks to a steady hand at the yes, wheel. Yeah. of course. Um, <laughs> I was thinking about your introductory remarks about um, Isaac and Abraham, and it reminded me of how intuitive and brilliant our kids are. They have a deep sense of what's going on around them. And um, which is why whenever I, I go to visit schools, I always ask kids two questions. First is, what do you love about your school? And then what would make it better? And truly, I get the best information from kids about how to improve the school system because they live it every day and, and they really are very intuitive about what's working and what's not. As it pertains to change, um, and I was thinking about your comments, I think the last few years, um, we've gone beyond the point of, of comfortable uncomfortableness, mm -hmm. where it's just been really uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. um, and so a lot of our young people really suffered during the pandemic, and many of them were really suffering before the pandemic. Yeah. Um, so every injustice that our city grapples with, whether it's poverty or racism or inequities in healthcare or housing or uh, joblessness or housing instability, all of those just got worse during the pandemic. And that disproportionately affected um, largely the kids in, in Richmond public schools. And so the last couple of years have been so much change and so much tumult. What we're trying to do is, is provide some stability and some certainty uh, for our young people while also continuing to push forward. We talk in education, in education, we just come up with fancy names for common things. Uh, so we talk about the zone of proximal development, which is that point where kids are being stretched enough to learn, but not stretched so far that they become completely um, unmoored and, and can't move forward. And so trying to find that zone of proximal development in the post-pandemic world is, is the challenge I think that we're facing now. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, we, Kenner and I talk about that a lot uh, in uh, the process of, uh, of, of preparing kids for their B'nai Mitzvah and saying that, you know, we want it to be uh, a significant enough challenge that when, uh, when a kid reaches that moment, they feel like they've actually accomplished something, but not so, such a disruption, such a challenge uh, that it is miserable and terrifying and oppressive every step of the way to get there. And so what's that, uh, what did you call it? Zone of productive- Proximal development. Zone of proximal development. Sounds like you've heard of that uh, terminology too. Uh, so um, would you like to share with us uh, how, how, how this comes up for you and, and maybe even to reflect on what Jason said? Yeah, yeah. I, I feel that uh, a lot of the students that we probably interact with a lot of the students, the, the challenge was the, they lost the coping skills that were available to them before the pandemic. Hmm. And then they had to redefine what that was, getting the support from the friends, because they didn't see the friends, they were at home. Um, getting the support from the teachers who weren't directly and physically available to them. 
opportunity to redefine it for themselves. And I feel a lot of the kids use healthy ways and unhealthy ways to get that support that they utilize during challenges and uncertainty, which which weren't there during the pandemic. Um, so I find my job is helping those kids use pro-social ways mm -hmm. of going through those challenges, um, using their therapist, using their family, even though the gyms are closed, going outside to exercise, it's just finding ways to get the support when there is uncertainty and, and using those consistently. I think that's how it's manifesting. Yeah, you know, it's, it's really, uh, I, I really appreciate that. I was going to ask you before you unpacked a little bit about what, what are some of those pro-social ways, right? What are those, what are the healthy ways of dealing with that instability, um, that disruption, and what are the unhealthy ways of doing it? Because what you were describing to me, you know, evoked in me, we, we call this, uh, set, this conversation in the wilderness. And that was come, kind of deliberate because uh, the, the uh, period of instability that kind of looms large in the Jewish narrative, in the biblical narrative, is the period of uh, the journey, the sojourn in the wilderness from between Egypt and, and the promised land, which is the bulk of the Torah, right? And, and, and I think it's no uh, coincidence that the Torah spends most of its time in that in-between space um, because, you know, to Rachel's point, right, that's where, um, that's where uh, productivity happens, or that's even present in the creation story. Uh, creation emerges from the chaos and from the disruption. Um, so I think that there's a, a, um, a, a reason for that. It's evoked again, by the way, in the Haftorah and the prophetic reading this morning. Um, but throughout that wilderness sojourn, right there, um, it's, it, it is replete with, with challenges, right? Antisocial, I guess it would yeah. be the opposite of that uh, ways of there's the people constantly complain, constantly rebel against their circumstances, uh, uh, lose hope, lose faith, despair, uh, demand to return to Egypt, right? They, 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 they remember fondly the days of enslavement and they want to return there. Um, so I, I'm, I'm wondering, right, so how, how do you um, work with someone to move them from a place of uh, wanting to go back to Egypt uh, to, uh, to, to uh, enabling them to you know, stay in the wilderness, to stay on that path um, uh, with the uh, hope, but not necessarily the promise that they'll ever get to the promised land. I think first is really identifying what they're missing during the challenge, because they're just focused on what was taken away as opposed to what they actually have now. Hmm. So uh, for example, you know, there were, no, there were no sports. So a lot of the kids I had wanted to play football, wanted to play basketball, wanted to engage with their peers. They lost the whole season, the whole year. So just focusing on what can you do with what you have to build the skills so when it comes back, you're able to be a better player, be a better student, be a better man, be a better woman. Um, so just redefining what it is what success is in that wilderness, we're using your metaphor, mm -hmm. and then also diverting them from the antisocial piece. Mm -hmm. um, it's very funny when you talked about uh, home inequities. There's a lot of siblings probably in a two, two bedroom mm -hmm. apartment. So the siblings are constantly bickering um, and those coping skills of socializing with their peers aren't available. So how can you connect with them now that you're not able to see them physically every single day, you know, trying to find ways to get them online, meeting at the park, being outside. So hopefully redefining things so they can understand what's missing and enact 
healthy behavior to get that back. Yeah. I, I wonder, Rachel, if you could reflect on this for a minute, because you, you focused so much, and I think appropriately so, on, on inner work. But what is, uh, uh, what's the relationship between that and the social pieces that Mitchell and uh, Jason are talking about that are, that are so important to our ability to navigate these difficult times? Yeah, I, th I um, think that um, it's really important to discern when you're running from and when you're running to, and you can be doing both of those at the same time, right? We can hold really complex things um, at the same time. And that um, running to is a very different reframing um, from running from. And then what came up for me when we were talking about pro-social behaviors or anti-social behaviors, I, I like to think about those in terms of like our skillfulness in life. And skillfulness or unskillfulness, right? So we're talking about this paradox here and we're talking about really the discomfort of the, these paradoxes. A skillfulness is really about doing the least amount of harm to yourself and other people. And so any of the activities um, that would lead to more skillfulness in life, I would say, those are pro-social. Um, and you can find that anywhere, right? You find it through prayer through meditation, through movement, through journaling, through poetry, through art, any place where you can be contemplative. Do you, Jason, do you uh, um, uh, see uh, what Rachel's talking about coming up in, in schools? Uh, like uh, the, um, the need, you know, both obviously for uh, the, um, the, the social context that schools provide that was, you know, so missing for students uh, in the um, in the first year or two of the pandemic, um, that still in some ways is is not uh, uh, fully restored, uh, and and also the um, the the inner nourishment that uh, that that students need that we all need, um, you know, to uh, to be able to kind of be fortified uh, to navigate times of disruption. I do. You know, one of the things we actually started during the pandemic and we have continued is to start each day with a community circle, which is in essence an opportunity for kids just to build relationships with one another, with their teacher. Um, I know it doesn't sound particularly profound, but to actually intentionally carve out space to start the day that way to forge relationships can be really powerful for students throughout the rest of the day. And of course, over the course of the year, um, one of the best predictors of a student's success is if they feel they have a strong relationship at school. Mm -hmm. If a student feels completely isolated or feels they don't belong or they're not welcome, the likelihood that they'll be unsuccessful academically and socially is very, very high. And so that's just one element of how we've tried to create a really welcoming and inclusive space for all of our kids to develop those relationships, again, with each other, with the staff and the school as well. Hmm. You, what, what you're pointing to there, I, I think is, is really powerful. That idea that uh, uh, the word that stuck out to me is, is belonging. And uh, um, it, it was, I think not a coincidence that, uh, that we developed this idea, this theme and this title as I was reading Brene Brown's book in the wilderness, uh, which is really a book about uh, belonging and not belonging and how 
that that's really the kind of the central struggle for most people is is uh, where how to find a context in which you feel like you act that that really embraces who you are. Uh, how does belonging come up for you in your work? Um, I think it's belonging's identity development. So who am I as a, a teenager? Um, who am I connected with? How am I defined by my peers? And then are they treating me the way that I envision myself being treated? And like somebody said, being isolated creates those feelings of depression, anxiety, not wanting to go to school because I'll be mistreated and bullied. Um, or it's a healthy mechanism where you can't wait to go to school to see your friends, to get that identity away from your annoying brothers, your nagging mom and your annoying dad. And that's the piece that I think is very important that you spoke about is that morning connection. A lot of kids miss that morning walk into school where they can just joke with their friends. You know, before that first bell rings, they sit in circles. You see them, they all get in their little circle and they all connect. And taking that away, taking, taking, taking that piece away, takes away their belonging, takes away their identity. So they feel lost because they don't have those kind of ritualistic behaviors that create their identity. So we had to discuss what was missing from that. And that's what we do in therapy. Like what is missing? How can you build that up? Yeah, Rachel. Yeah, I think those circles that you're doing are incredibly profound. I think they're transformational actually. I don't think there's anything more important than creating a culture of belonging. And actually I was watching RPS throughout the whole you know, last few years, the, the reopening with love, that whole entire framework, there's really nothing more important than that. And it's not just the students that felt that. I think it was the staff that felt that, but it was also the community that felt like, wow, they're actually putting what's most important out front. Because actually what's most important in life, it's great to learn. We, we all want to learn and, and grow and, and progress as a society. But what's most important is love. It's our connection with ourselves, with the earth, and with each other. I don't think there's anything higher than that. Yeah, I, I want to uh, see if you uh, want to get an opportunity to reflect on that, uh, Jason, because I, I, from my perspective also, I, I've seen that happen in, in RPS schools. And, you know, I think that the cynics might say, you know, uh, reopen with love is, is really great branding, but what does it actually mean in, in context? Um, but I don't know. I mean, I, I, I said this to you, this is like the weekend of your, uh, of, of Ezra's bar mitzvah. Um, I want to say it was like Saturday night, maybe, or maybe it was, it was, no, it wasn't. It was, we had a rehearsal Wednesday night and then late that night came the RPS daily email. And which is, if you've ever, if you're an RPS parent or part of the RPS community, you know that these emails are, are extensive, not only with, you know, daily updates about everything that's happening with RPS, but a, a you know, pages upon pages of what, what are called shout outs. Right, so celebrations of just like small good things that are happening in the RPS community, and I always just assume that you know uh, Jason's team of elves in the office uh, are the <laughs> ones that are putting this together. But when it came out uh, that day, late in the evening, after we were home from the rehearsal, I realized that Jason is actually the one that's putting this together. So, uh, so it strikes me that. Um, that that when you say reopen with love, this is something that actually um, you're really kind of put investing yourself into. Well, thank you. Um, I do want to note there are some elves okay. and they help. <laughs> um, but yes, <laughs> I do give it the final eye before it goes out. Um, 
yeah, look, uh, we, we talk about love and I know it, it can sound Pollyannish, but when I talk to staff and families, this is how I sort of um, crystallize it. We wanna make sure that every child is treated as if they were our own flesh and blood. The same love that you have for your own flesh and blood is how we need to treat every child in the school system. And, you know, love is a complicated thing. It's um, incredibly supportive. It's incredibly demanding. Um, it can uh, lift you up and it can challenge you. And so we want all of those things for our kids. And so, um, yeah, it, it sounds good, but it is also really at the core of what we're trying to do. And, and if I can embarrass them, like I do think about Ezra and Akiva every day while I'm making decisions is, you know, is this program, is this idea, is this decision what I would want for them? Um, and if it's not good enough for them, it's not good enough for any children. I think we have to have that shared sense of responsibility for one another, especially at this time in this time of in-between and transition, um, and especially in this city where our history for so long has not been a sense of shared responsibility to one another. So um, that's that's really the essence of what it's about. Mm. Uh, so in, in our closing moments now, I want to come back to that idea in a second uh, as, uh, to, to when we when it's time to wrap up. Um, but I just wanted to offer each of you an opportunity in, in the closing minutes that we have. Um, and we could keep on talking about this for a long time. And I'm so grateful for all of your uh, perspectives and expertise and wisdom. Um, what uh, thoughts or advice do you have for us uh, in whatever in-between we might fi be finding ourselves right now, whether that's our communal in-between of the renovation, the, the in-between of the pandemic, the in-between of our country, our world, or whatever you know, uh, times of transition we might be experiencing in our own lives? What, what thoughts or, or uh, guidance do you have for, to leave us with? You can start whoever, oh. yeah, whoever wants to start first. I would guess for me it would just be flexible. I think we've, as we've gotten older, well, as I've gotten older, I, I've gotten real defined in my routine and my daily routine and how I envision things and how I want, how I would like things to be done. And the pandemic taught me to be flexible in the way that I approach things and be open to new um, techniques and strategies to, you know, get out of the wilderness or be in that wilderness and be comfortable in that chaos of, you know, being a parent at home and uh, virtual learning and not having the outlets that I used to have, you know, going to the gym being, so just be flexible and fluid in the way that you approach things and be more open. I think that's for me. Building on that, I would just say have grace for yourself and for others. Um, being in the wilderness is hard and um, and you trip and fall and um, just having that grace for yourself to get up and put one foot in front of the next, I think is, is really important, especially at these time. And especially for folks who have responsibility for children, we're so focused on their well-being um, and we feel that it is, the bar is especially high now coming out of the pandemic um, I think it's an, a reminder, though, that we have to put on our oxygen mask first sometimes and give ourselves grace as we're trying to support others. Yeah, 
I agree with both of those statements. And I would just add, um, try and stay with the discomfort as hard as that is and see what comes up for you in your body and believe yourself, believe in the wisdom that comes out of your body and believe yourself. Uh, I I'm so grateful for, for each and every one of you with, with all that you've shared just now and throughout this conversation um, and all that you uh, could have shared uh, had we a little bit more time to, but just to kind of tie some of these threads together, um, you know, I'm, I'm really struck by, uh, by, by what, what Jason said and what, what uh, Mitchell and, and Rachel, you guys uh, echoed um, about um, uh, relating, how we, how we relate to one another, how we, how we treat one another and the importance of belonging. I mean, it strikes me as we're having this conversation uh, that, you know, uh, among the central themes of this holiday, uh, we, we refer to God uh, repeatedly as Avinu Malkenu, uh, which, which has a dual image of, of God's sovereignty, but also God's, uh, God as a parent. Um, and we, we collectively affirm that uh, God is a parent which reminds us that we're all siblings to one another uh, and that we should, you know, in, in, in holding God's perspective as a parent, that we kind of see, we, we say, okay, well, you know, how would I treat this other person uh, if they were my own child or my own sibling? Uh, and that also, it means that regardless of where we might find ourselves in a time of challenge or a time of struggle, a time where we might uh, feel a lack of belonging um, that we that we do ultimately belong to someone and we belong to each other, that we're uh, loved uh, fully for who we are and whatever we do. I think that that's really central to that image. And it's what's held up on Rosh Hashanah, uh, knowing that every moment is an in-between moment, right? There, there's actually no such thing as uh, you know where we came from and where we're going to. You could start a story anywhere and Though there's only one ending. It's the ending that we're all going to. And as, so long as we're not there, we're in, we're in the in-between. So thankfully. So, uh, um, so that, that means uh, that, uh, that, that Rosh Hashanah is reminding us that we're perpetually in that space uh, and that we are held in love uh, throughout all of our journeys and that we have a responsibility to hold each other in love too. And so... Um, this, this final image came to mind in that regard um, as I was reflecting on the uh, prophetic reading for this morning from, from Jeremiah. Josh spoke about it so beautifully uh, a little while ago. And this image at the end of a mother weeping for her children. It's uh, the, the prophet is, is, is uh, speaking to a community in exile, right? So it's its own communal in between after a, a really devastating destruction. Uh, and, uh, and he says, a, a voice is heard in Ramah, wailing, bitter weeping, Rachel weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children who are gone. Thus says the infinite, restrain your voice from weeping, your, tears, your eyes from shedding tears, for there is a reward for your labor, declares the infinite. They shall return from the enemy's land, and there is hope for your future, declares the infinite. Your children shall return to their country. So there's a, a couple of things that that uh, reminds me. The first is, do they still uh, assign Moby Dick in RPS schools? I don't believe so. Okay. Uh, well, here's a plug for it. 
Um, <laughs> I, I uh, hadn't read Moby Dick since high school. I, can't, I didn't remember it all that well from high school. I decided to reread it this summer for some reason that I don't understand why, but, but I will say that some things are classics for a reason. And, um, and I hope this is not a spoiler alert to a, like a 175 year old book, but um, the, toward the end of the, the book centers on uh, a, a monomaniacal uh, whaling boat captain named Ahab, who is uh, hunting for a white whale named Moby Dick uh, that among other things has taken his leg and he's sworn revenge on, on this whale. Um, and he is single-minded in his, uh, fixation on capturing and killing this whale. So much so that toward the end of the book, he's on the hunt for the whale and they encounter a ship called the Rachel um, that is uh, kind of unusually circling the waters. And the boat stop, the ship stops uh, the Pequod, Ahab's ship, and, uh, and, and, and asks for Ahab's help. Why? because uh, in their attempt to capture the white whale, the Rachel's attempt to capture the white whale, one of their crew was lost at sea. And it turns out that it was the captain of that ship's son who was lost at sea. And the, and, and the captain of the Rachel appeals to Ahab's humanity. Imagine if it was your own child who was, who was lost at sea and Ahab tells his uh, crew, do not touch a mast, do not touch a, 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 an oar. We are not going to help this ship and this captain look for his son who's lost at sea. We have to keep on on our course because our uh, mission is to catch and kill the white whale. And so they leave the Rachel behind. And the, that chapter ends with a quote from this prophetic from Jeremiah, right? It was the sound of Rachel uh, weeping for her children who were no more. But the end of the book, probably not surprisingly, is Ahab and the entire crew of the Pequod uh, being destroyed and dying in pursuit of the white whale. The only survivor is the narrator of the book, who's called Ishmael, another callback to the readings from Rosh Hashanah, uh, yesterday's reading. And Ishmael is saved from the shipwreck after days of being adrift at sea. Who saves him? The crew of the Rachel. So what strikes me in this passage from Jeremiah and in that reference in, in Melville is that, uh, that, the, that the way to navigate these challenging moments of transition is to remember our humanity and our connection to one another, our responsibility to one another. It's really what you guys were all talking about, that, that uh, to be present uh, and to care for one another, that's how we navigate these times of transition and these times of challenge. And then ultimately what the prophet says too, is that to not let go of hope, that, um, that especially in community with one another, in love, uh, that we show and, and, and echo for one another, uh, the way we hold on to one another and care for one another, uh, that there is a pathway forward uh, and the way through it is to join hands and, and walk there together. Um, so I'm, I'm so, so grateful for each and every one of you for all the incredible work that you do in your respective roles, um, for everything that you bring to our entire community, our Bethel community, our Richmond community, 
um, and for all of the incredible wisdom that you shared with us today. Thank you so much. Shana Tova, Happy New Year. This has been the TBE Richmond Podcast. Once again, I'm Rabbi Michael Knopf. On behalf of all of us here at Temple Bethel in Richmond, Virginia, thanks for listening. I hope this episode was uplifting and enriching. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this feed wherever you listen to podcasts so you'll never miss an episode. And please rate and review us so others will have an easier time joining the conversation. Our theme music is composed and produced by Stephen Frost. Learn more about our dynamic, warm, and passionate congregation affiliated with the United Synagogue of Conservative Judaism at www.bethelrichmond.org. Until next time, shalom y'all.